Well, good morning, Hillcrest. I'm also Nate on staff here, one of the pastors here, and it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, I'm excited about that trunk or treat. Last uh, year, my my, uh, youngest kid works at Unfort down on 119th and Metcalf down there. And so last year for trunk or treat, we decorated our car as the Unforked drive-thru. And uh, so you'd come up to the back and place your order and then walk around the side of the car and pick up the candy. So uh, my challenge for you is do it better. Let's see if you can take that on. And uh, defeat us in the competition, right? Uh, I also want to just start with a word of prayer. As we've been going into this month of September, we've been uh, talking about church plants around Kansas City, praying for different churches that are just getting started. And so we want to pray for Engage KC that's been around for about a year or so here in Kansas City. Uh, Jason, who is leading us in worship this morning, he and another friend, Lexi, are co-pastoring that church plant and getting it started. And uh, we want to lift them up. He said that we can just pray for them for discernment. Um, about important decisions that they're making as a church community, Um, some decisions in front of them as they're moving forward. And he asked that we just pray that God would give them wisdom and direction about what they should do. So uh, before we get into God's word together this morning, let's just pause again. I just want to lift that church up and uh, our partnership with them. So let's pray again. Father, thanks for Engage KC, for Jason and Lexi and their leadership of that faith community. And we pray, Lord, that you would encourage them and call them out Lord, that they would know what you would have them do, that you would give them direction and uh, in the next steps in front of them, that as a church, they would be able to respond to the needs that they see around them, uh, the, the kingdom work you've given them to do. Father, I've been so encouraged by the ways they have reached out to the refugee community here in Kansas City, how they have uh, created uh, incredible spaces for people to use their creativity to worship you, Lord. And I just pray that you would encourage them Uh, Lexi and Jason, as leaders of that church, that you would encourage all those who are part of their community, that they would have a sense that you are with them and guiding them, Lord. Uh, We're just so thankful for this church here in Kansas City and and that you are continuing to expand um, your glory, your kingdom here in this place. Uh, Thanks, Father, for your, your goodness. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start this morning with a simple verse from Proverbs 12, 25. Um, it really just speaks clearly about our topic today. Here's what the, the wisdom says. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. Yeah, seems that kind of makes sense, right? Seems pretty straightforward. Worry weighs a person down. An encouraging word cheers a person up. The New, New King James Version translates the original Hebrew language this way. Anxiety is the is in the heart of man in the heart of man causes depression but a good word makes it glad uh, one more version i want to look at different translation the american standard version which sounds like the version we should all be reading because we're americans and we're standard so um, maybe so Here, here's how it translates the original language heaviness in the heart of a man maketh it stoop but a good word maketh it glad There's a lisp in there for some reason. I'm not sure how that's in the original Hebrew, but there it is. Uh, So the first word of this verse is translated three different ways. This is why it's interesting sometimes to read scripture in different translations. You can see how different scholars are trying to capture the the Hebrew language, which is so much about word pictures, and, and bring it into our limited English language. So the first word's translated three different ways, worry, anxiety, Heaviness, that's kind of how this verse starts. When we have worry, anxiety, or heaviness, something happens. What does it do in us? Well, there's three different words translated here again, three different ways of understanding it. It weighs us down, it causes depression, or it makes us stoop. 
and makes us stoop. The situations of our lives, the hardships we face, the, the pain we endure, the worries we wrestle with, all of those things bring a weight with them that settles down on our shoulders and, and can cause us to stoop. That's a word we don't use very much, but you know, it's kind of to hang over, to feel the weight of it, to catch our breath and kind of bend our backs, the stooping that comes with the heaviness of life. And we don't always do that physically, but sometimes internally, emotionally, we're stooping, we're bent over, lowering the weight of it. The King James Version says that that's causing depression in us, depression. We want to talk about depression this morning. In 2020, they did some surveying and they found that uh, 21 million Americans had one major depressive episode during the year 2020. That was a, a difficult year. That's much more than normal. And, and most of those were in the 18 to 25 year age group. 21 million Americans suffered one major depressive episode. When my kids were younger, I would take them backpacking, and we'd, we'd head out on the trail, and all of us would have a, a backpack. And so as the adult, I'd have the big, you know, adult-sized backpack with the tent and the food and the gear, and it would usually weigh, you know, over 50 pounds, 55 pounds, something like that. And my next kid might be eight or nine years old, and they would have a, a, another normal backpacking backpack, but it would be somewhat smaller, and they would have like a sleeping bag and some other things in it. They, that might be about 15 pounds. And then the littlest one, like five or six years old, they just have like a school backpack, and, you know, and I'd put some socks in there or something like that or a pillow, you know, just to give them something to carry. It might weigh five pounds, not much at all. And we'd start out on the trail, and we, you know, it didn't matter, you know, what kind of mood they were in. When they put those backpacks on, they usually made that grunting sound kids make when they're like, let's go, like, let's get this going, Dad. And we would take off on the trail. And I knew eventually, it would be soon, it might be later, it might be halfway through the trip, it might be within five minutes of leaving the car. Eventually, I was going to end up with all three backpacks on my back, you know, just kind of guarantee. I knew I'd have all 70 pounds that I'd be carrying around. I don't know, uh, every trail in Colorado is uphill. You can argue with me about that. You could try to prove me wrong. But I, I believe every trail in Colorado is uphill. And my kids would eventually get worn out, uh, exhausted, tired, and their exhaustion would become my burden. You know, I just, I just planned on it. The Book of Wisdom here says that our hardships can become our burdens. They can stoop us down. They can push our shoulders down and bend our backs and cause us to be depressed. Depression is an emotion that we feel. We all of us have probably felt seasons of darkness, seasons when we felt heavy and depressed. And it's also a diagnosis. It's a mental health disorder that some of you have struggled with or some in your family or some in your friend group have struggled with. Just like anxiety, we talked about this two weeks ago. There's an emotion and then there's a, a disorder. There's an emotion and then there's a diagnosis. And, and both are true. The difference is usually the depth of the struggle, the, the length of time that it holds us. Uh, sometimes it has to do with the causes. So this morning, we're going to talk about depression. And, and to get us started, I want to watch a short little one-minute video that just describes for us what depression is all about. So would you uh, watch this with me? Depression. What is it? And what's the difference between feeling depressed and experiencing depression? For many people, feeling depressed can mean feeling sad, unhappy, or low. These are natural and normal feelings even if they arrive without any warning or reason. Generally, these feelings will go away with time. Your mood will lift and you'll start to feel better. However, if you are sad and unmotivated for two weeks or longer, stop enjoying the things that usually make you happy. Withdraw from friends and family or feel empty or numb. It might be a sign that you're experiencing depression. So what exactly causes depression? There's no simple answer. 
Depression affects everyone differently. It's also caused by many different things. Often, it can be the result of many unique factors. Common ones include being in ongoing stressful situations, undergoing a big life change, having a family history of depression, experiencing grief or loss, going through ongoing physical illness or pain. You may even be at greater risk of depression due to your personality traits, especially if they include worrying a lot or being overly critical of yourself. Depression is more than just feeling depressed from time to time, but it's important to know that it is treatable and it's worth reaching out and talking to someone about. I want to invite uh, Natalie to come up. Natalie is our support group coordinator here at church, just joined our staff team this summer, and she's going to help us talk some more about depression in more of a, a clinical way. And sometimes uh, depression, the diagnosis, is called major depression to differ differentiate it from the emotion of depression. So Natalie, my first question for you is, is how is major depression different from this emotion of depression? Thanks, Nate, for having me up here today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when we think about mental health, it's, it, in mental health in general, it's good to think of it as a continuum, that on one side there's mental health, on the other side there's mental illness. And it, within there, there's all ranges of emotions and experiences that we have. It's the same with depression, that on one side there is us being unhappy or sad, which we all feel all the time through life. And then on the other side is major depression. That's when the symptoms of depression become more serious. Um, the video told us about some of those symptoms, but really the difference is when it is the time and the duration. So if you have symptoms of depression that linger for two weeks or more, and it happens all the time every day, it's, so it's the dur durability of it, it's the consistency of it, mm -hmm. and also the intensity of it. So it will actually impact the way um, you see yourself, it, it impacts what you do, your regular activities that you don't want to do anymore, um, even how you take care of yourself. If you eat more, you eat less. So you sleep more, you sleep less. Again, we can all face those things every now and then, but if it's happening for more than two weeks um, and, and constantly all the time and nothing is really helping it, then that's the time, that's the sign of major depression. And really, I wanted to say a, a sort of a disclaimer that, as the video said, there's so much that can cause depression that this is in no, no way everything that it encompasses. Mm -hmm. But it's important to talk to someone, no matter where you are on that continuum, if you're feeling unhappy or sad and things are lingering in your life, it's really important to reach out and talk with someone. Yeah, we're going to spend about another 25 minutes or so talking about it, and that's not enough. I mean, right. there's so much more to say. So the symptoms are many, and also the causes are many. So mm -hmm. as we think about the causes of depression, can you give us some categories that we could put those causes into just to get our minds around it a little sure. bit? Sure. I like to look at this as integrated beings. That's how God created us, that we're mind, body, soul, and spirit. And so depression can show up in all of those different areas. So first we'll start with biological, our bodies. God created us with things in our bodies, so when things don't work right, they're like signs that say, hey, go get something checked out. Something's going on here. Mm -hmm. And so some of those within our body could be a chemical imbalance. We have things called neurotransmitters that sometimes if we don't have have enough of them, then that can cause us to have emotional uh, problems and, and uh, lead to depression. Um, sometimes it can be hormones um, for men and for women. Um, that hormones, if we have uh, sometimes hormone dysfunction, um, sometimes it's vitamin deficiency like vitamin D or even folic acid. Um, sometimes reactions to medications can cause symptoms of depression. Substance use, other illnesses, stroke, or even chronic pain can cause symptoms of depression. 
And then there's relational. That's where we deal with our emotions and our feelings with our parents, with our family, with our friends, with our parents, any relationship we have. And this is something that's really important. And no matter what relationship we have, when we deny and suppress our emotions, and we act like feelings don't exist. We depress them, we just pretend that they're not there. And we don't give them an outlet. We keep up that front when someone says, is everything okay? And you say, yes it is, when it's really not. Um, that can lead us to depression because denying our emotions, eventually they're gonna catch up to us. Um, something else could be abuse physical, emotional, sexual. There was a 2020 study that actually showed that intimate partner violence in an early age can lead to signs of depression and anxiety later in life. And there's also disconnect and isolation, whether that's a long distance relationship or if it's what we experienced during COVID when we were isolated, um, those feelings of isolation, not having that social connection could lead to feelings of depression. And then there's circumstantial, it's life. It is just what happens. Um, we all have life experiences that happen. Sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad. Sometimes life is hard, sometimes life is challenging. Any change that disrupts our sense of security or normalcy can lead us to have those feelings of depression. It could be a life transition, it could be loss or grief, and that could be loss of a loved one, even loss of a pet. Uh, it could be loss of a job or of a friendship. It could be financial hardships, chronic illness, and really, again, anything that life can throw at us. And then there's, of course, the spiritual. Um, the word says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so the enemy will try to use all of these different ways to attack us and to make us question our identity in Christ, our worth, and our security. And so it's important to know what Nate is gonna talk about more later is about the truth of who we are in Christ and not to let the enemy steal that from us. Hmm. Thanks, now it's really helpful just to have those categories to think about it. So uh, anything else you wanna to say to us about depression? Yes, so one of the things I've said already is it's so important to talk to people. And Nate's gonna talk about um, a little bit later about the prophet Elijah in his message today. And there was something that happened between Elijah and God that I think really represents the importance of someone caring enough to talk to you and you caring enough to, to be honest with them, to tell them what's going on. You know, Elijah, and, and Nate will give the background of this, but he was running and he was uh, running from fear, anxiety, and he was depressed. And when he found himself in a cave of darkness, God asked him, what are you doing here? And he asked him that twice. And Elijah was honest. He told him what was wrong. Now, whether that was all true or not, but he told him how he was feeling. And then God asked him again, and he uh, again unlifted that load, and he shared that load with God. And what happened then was that God gave him some steps, some action steps to take to be able to move forward, to move from that place of being in that depressed, anxious state to doing something about it. And that's what God can do for us when we're honest about how we feel, we're honest with ourselves, we're honest with him, and then we can talk to somebody. And so sometimes God gives us those action steps, those ways to move forward through his word, through the Holy Spirit. Sometimes it's through another person by being able to talk to someone. So again, sharing that load is so important because that's what God wants us to do. We're not meant to share this alone, to bear this alone. Yeah. Thanks, Natalie. Let's say thanks to Natalie for coming up and sharing this with us this morning.
Natalie is just a great resource for us as a church community. Uh, after church, she'll be out in the lobby there at a table where she'll have a list of support groups that are starting up this week and also listing off the coffee talks she's doing this fall, one Saturday or one Wednesday morning where you can just stop in and, and start a conversation around some mental health things that we're, we've been talking about this month. And uh, she's just a great resource for us. I'd love for you to meet her this morning if you haven't yet. Uh, mental health struggles are real, and depression is a real thing that, that we face Depression, the diagnosis, it, is, it has touched my family. I've sat in the hospital with, with a kid who was hurting and captured by dark, dark thoughts. I've been in a waiting room just crying out to God, waiting to hear news and, and praying desperately for the life to, be, to, life to go on. And, and I've also watched from those dark places life come and, and new seasons uh, grow out of those times of darkness when God has brought light and hope again. It's important that we talk about this. There's a new national hotline I found out about this week, uh, 988. And if you have a mental health emergency, a suicide type emergency, you can dial 988 and get help and get response right away. So 911 we use for physical emergencies. Now we have 988 for mental health emergencies. I just want you to have that number in your head because uh, you may know someone. You may encounter that need yourself to make that call. Churches and faith communities should be safe places to talk about these kinds of issues, but often that's not the case, or it doesn't feel like that's the case. And I think sometimes as churches, we, we buy into this lie, and we get, we get the, the order wrong. We feel like, well, I've got, to, um, I've got to clean up before I can show up. I've got to get things in my life in order. I've got to bring order to the chaos of my life. I've got to get things figured out before I can show up and be part of what God is doing in a faith community or in my neighborhood or in my world. And that's actually the exact opposite of what is true. The truth is we show up together. We, we come together with all of our stuff, our light and our dark, our, our joys, our sorrows, our chaos and our, our hopes. And we, we come together before God. And God is, the Spirit of God is the one who begins to do something new in us, begins to transform our lives, begins to speak new life over us, to help us grow up and, and clean up. It's the Spirit of God that does that work. And we say things to each other like, you know what, God will never give you more than you can bear. Kind of pat each other on the back. You're, you're gonna, God will never give you more than you can bear. Well, that's not true. That's a lie. We, we, we found that in, in 1 Corinthians 10. Paul's talking, and we take this verse and we bring it out of context. Paul's saying, and God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And Paul's speaking about a very specific type of event in your life when you're tempted. And he says, when you get put into a corner by temptation, God's not going to put you in a corner where there's not a way out. God will always allow a way around or through that temptation so that you don't have to bite into the sin. You don't have to fall for it. But when you step back and look at our greater lives, our, our everyday experiences in life, there are seasons and weeks and, and maybe even years when you are going to be weighed down, when life is going to be heavy, and it's going to be beyond what you can bear. It's going to be beyond what you can handle, because God created you to need other people, to be part of a community. God created you to need him to walk through this life. We need one another. We feel guilty when this is our reality. We think we're not spiritually strong any longer. We, we feel like we're less than the bright, happy people that sometimes sit around us. But it's just not true. Uh, depression doesn't discriminate. The spiritually mature can suffer with depression. The young, the old, the strong, the weak, the poor, the rich, everyone can face these, these dark seasons of life. There's no camouflage you can put over your, your heart that will hide you from the reality of life. 
But there is a way through it. There is a light that will guide you through those seasons of darkness. I want to check in on a prophet this morning, a man of uh, faith, a hero, a, a man who God used to speak uh, truth to power. His, his story changed the nation of Israel. This prophet Elijah was used by God in powerful ways. And he faced dark days. He faced anxiety and fear and depression. And I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 19. And we're going to look at Elisha's story this morning and, and how God met him in the midst of that panic, in that midst of his fear. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're going to start at verse 1. And let me just say, uh, Elijah shows up in, in chapter 17. So just two chapters before this is when he comes on the scene. And Ahab is, is the new king. He's anointed king. And Elijah comes before the new king and he says, I want you to know God's not happy with you or how you're leading your people Israel. And so it's not going to rain until I say so. Elijah says, God's told me to just cut the rain off. No more rain. And, uh, and then Elijah runs and he goes and he hides because this is not good news for the king. He's not happy to hear this, that, that there's not going to be rain coming. There's going to be famine. There's going to be a season of challenge. And Elijah goes and he hides. And while he's in hiding, God provides for him in miraculous ways, incredible ways. Scripture says that ravens bring him uh, food to eat, bring him meat and bread to eat. I can imagine these, these amazing ravens showing up and be like, here's your food. We're not your food. Here's your food. Eat this. Not us. This is your food here. You know? and, and God provides for him in supernatural, incredible ways. In chapter 18, right before here, uh, Elijah stands up in front of 450 prophets of Baal, this fake false god that Israel was starting to follow. And Elijah challenges them, 450 others, to a duel of some sorts on the plains there. And God shows up in a powerful way as fire falls from heaven and burns up his sacrifice, his altar. And the entire nation is shook by what happens and they begin to shift back to God. And then right at the end of chapter 18, before we start in 19 here, Elijah says, all right, it's time to start rain again. It's three and a half years later. He says, Let's, we're gonna bring the rain. And God uses him to start the rains falling again in Israel. And then we come to chapter 19 here. So look at verse one. Now, King Ahab told Queen Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel, the queen, sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life, Elijah, like, those, like one of them, one of those prophets that you killed. So she says, You're going to die. That's what she says to Elijah. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left this, his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And he came to a broom bush and sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, Elijah said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then he lay down under the tree, fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. And Elijah looked around, and there by his head was some bread baking over hot coals and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and then lay down again. In verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So Elijah got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night what do you notice? We're going we're to come back to the rest of the story, so don't, don't close your Bibles yet. But what do you notice about this first half of the story? What, what stands out to you? So a couple things, couple things I noticed, just want to share with you. First, Elijah seems to be sent into this tailspin by, by an event 
by an occurrence, like circumstances, like Natalie was talking about these different causes. There was a circumstance where this queen came and said, I'm going I'm to take your life. And Elijah responded in fear that she was going to actually do it, and he ran for his life. This is after God had taken care of him time and time again. In supernatural ways, and natural ways, he had what he needed. And yet when she threatened him, he took off running. This is the day after he stood in front of 450 false prophets and challenged them, and God showed up in a powerful, visible way. And yet the next day, this fear, it, it, it like kicks in some type of memory loss for Elijah. And, and he, this panic hits him, and the truth of God's, God's faithfulness, the truth of God's power and presence and ability and provision and love and hope and all these good things that shows God's faithfulness to Elijah, it's like he forgets all of that. And he goes on a run. He, gets, he just says, I'm getting out of here. And he takes off. And, and we do this sometimes, don't we? A new challenge shows up in our lives. We get some news or a phone call or an email in our normal every day. And then we're like, how am I supposed to handle this? Well, I'm not ready for this. I don't have what I need. I can't do this. And we, we shut down or we take off running or we hide out. And it's like we forget that God is good and faithful and with us and will never leave us. Sometimes forgetting God's faithfulness is the first movement toward depression. Forgetting that God is faithful, sometimes that first step we take towards depression, towards that darkness, that struggle. And Elijah runs, and then he does even more to push him, to push him towards that darkness. He leaves his servant behind at Beersheba, it says, and he continues running into the wilderness and collapses under a tree. Isolation and exhaustion. The fear hits, he runs, and then he isolates himself. And he exhausts himself. It's just not, not a good plan. Elijah's not making good choices. This is not how to handle stress in your life. If you siphon all the gas out of your car and disconnect the wires from the car battery, it's not going to start. It's not going to get you where you need to go. It's not going to move you down the road. Wear yourself out and shut people out and darkness will descend. Wear yourself out. And disconnect from the community that you were created to be a part of. And depression will start to, you know, fill your rearview mirror. But Elijah's not done. He sits there in his depressed state and he prays to God and says, just take my life. I'm, I'm no better than any of my ancestors. I wish I was dead. Elijah had worked hard for God, for God for years. And now he's looking back and he says, nothing's changed. I'm still hiding out. I'm still running for my life. I just wish this was over. He's feeling alone. His outlook has changed over the years. He, he was a hopeful young adult, you know, big dreaming, and now he's kind of towards the end of his life, useless, feeling useless and hopeless. And he's focused on the negative. I'm, I'm no better than my ancestors. He's lying to himself or he's listening to lies. We talked about how there's, uh, Natalie talked about how there's spiritual attacks that can cause us to move into depression or be in a depressed state that there is an evil one who wants to kill and steal and destroy. And one of Satan's greatest tools is accusation. The book of Revelation talks about how he's the accuser of those who are following hard after God. Satan will bring up your past. He'll remind you of old names that you used to carry around. He'll put pictures in front of you, words and songs that will accuse you of things that you have moved on from. He'll try to put you back in those old boxes. He'll try to get you to focus on the you that you are no longer. And he'll tell you lies and try to get you to believe them. And the distorted information he highlights needs to be reined in by the truth of God. It needs to be boxed up and thrown in the sea 
by what God says about us, what is true. So while Elijah is struggling in the wilderness, God sends him a messenger of truth, an angel. And the first thing the angel says is, Elijah, eat something. Have something to eat. He doesn't say, Elijah, snap out of it. Get a grip. What's wrong with you? Where's your fate? What's your problem? He doesn't say that. He doesn't accuse. He doesn't correct. He doesn't condemn. The angel says, have something to eat. And Elijah looks over and there's bread cooking on hot coals. You guys know how much I like bread. I would love to be there in that moment. Angela baked some bread this last week and our house still smells like fresh baked. I need to get like a candle that smells like baking bread, you know, burn in my office. The angel says, have something to eat. And God starts the healing process in Elijah's life by, by meeting his physical need. Elijah's resting, he's sleeping, now he's eating. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is sleep. Did you know that? The most spiritual thing you can do is get some rest. God doesn't need you busy and burned out. He needs you rested and ready to respond to the work he has for you to do. Maybe this afternoon, the best thing you could do is take a nap and get some rest. If you're having trouble sleeping at night, you need to talk to somebody about that. Talk to your doctor, talk to someone to figure that out. You, you need sleep. We need sleep. It helps restore us emotionally, physically, in so many ways. After Elijah is rested, he starts this long journey towards Mount Horab. Mount Horab is another name for Mount Sinai. It's the place where Moses received the Ten Commandments, the way of life that God was calling the people to begin to live in. And it was a long way off. It took him 40 days and 40 nights to get there. And that number 40, that's important in Scripture. I don't know if you know this, but 40 is a, an important number. Uh, some, 40 is a great number. How many of you like, are turning 40 this year? Anybody want to admit how old they are? Anybody having a 40th birthday this year? I, see some, I don't believe that one, but I see some hands. I see some hands. Yeah, 40 is a, an important number in Scripture. It's the number of, of uh, testing and, and refinement. It's the number of preparation. So Moses was on the mountain 40 days receiving the, words, the, the law, the word of God. And it prepared him to lead the people toward the promised land. The people didn't believe they could go in the promised land. So for 40 years, they wandered as God tested them and prepared them for something else. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights as he was preparing to start his public ministry. Before he taught one word or healed one person, he went through that time of refinement with God. Uh, the rains fell on Noah and his family for 40 days and 40 nights as the world was, was judged by God. So 40 is an important number. And, and that's how long it took him to get to Mount Horeb. And then God shows up. So let's go back and look at uh, 1 Kings 19 again. Second half of verse 9, we're going to read to about verse 16. It says, And the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after that fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. 
In verse 15, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shephath, of Abel-Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. God asks this question, what are you doing here? As Elijah comes out of that cave, which sort of captured his emotional state as he was in this physical state of darkness. God says, what are you doing here? And God didn't need like information when he asked that question. It's not that God was unsure. God didn't know, so he thought he'd better ask so he could understand what was happening. God sees everything. He knows everything. He knows what was going on in Elijah's life. God wasn't asking the question so he could get information. He was asking the question so that Elijah had to say it out loud, had to kind of talk about what he was experiencing. And God asked him the same question twice, and Elijah responds the same way twice. And in between, there is this wind and earthquake and fire. Earth, wind, and fire. That's a band, isn't it? I think that's a heard of them. Both time Elijah answers the question, same way, he says, I've worked hard, which is true. He says, your people have rejected you and worshiped other gods, which was true. He says, people are trying to kill me, which was true. And he says, I'm the only one left. I'm the only faithful person. That was not true. That was a lie. God wants to hear Elijah's words so that God can help him separate the truth from the lies. God asks the question so that Elijah can say it out loud. He does it twice so Elijah can say, here's what I'm experiencing. And God can help him start to figure out, here's what's true and here's what's not true. Stop believing the lies and start believing the truth that I want to say. A few minutes later, God will tell Elijah, there's 7,000 other Israelites that are faithful to me. You are not the only one left. Elijah, you are not alone. Sometimes the things we worry about, the things that we get anxious about, God would say, it's just not true. That's not what's going on. It might feel that way. It might look that way from your limited perspective, but it is not what's true. We think, well, I'm all alone. And God says, that's not true. I've invited you into a community of faith, brothers and sisters who will walk with you and be with you, pray with you, encourage you. You are not alone. People have gone through the same thing you're going through. They're right here in this room. We think, well, I can't do anything good. God would say, it's not true. Before you were born, I set aside good things for you to do, things that would bless your heart and empower your neighbors. And we think, well, my kids are never going to follow Jesus. And God wants to say, that's not true. The good shepherd is always pursuing his sheep. The Spirit of God is working in the lives of every person, and he is drawing them back to himself. We, we say these lies, and God wants to say, that this is not True, we think, you know, my marriage is over. I'll always be anxious. I can't do that. He won't do that. And God says, those are lies. Let the truth come over you. Let me tell you the truth. Many times our first step back into the light comes as we allow God to tell us the truth. Our emotions are important, but they are temporary. Our emotions tell us that something is wrong. We need to pay attention. Emotions are, are great signal flares, but they're terrible maps. They're great signal flares, but they are terrible maps. Ask God to replace the lies in your life with what is true. Invite him to speak clearly to your heart what is actually happening. What is the truth of your situation? He sees what's happening, and, and as you hear his words, you can start to embrace what is true. How's he going to talk to you? How's he going to speak to you? Well, it might be through scripture. It might be a verse or a story in the Bible that he begins to help you see what is true. It might be a text from a friend 
It just reminds you of something that is right and good and true. It might be a song that you sing at church or you hear in the car. It it could be a a moment when you encounter him in the river or on the mountain or in, in the valley. God will speak. So Elijah goes out to listen to God. And the wind blows and the earth shake and the fire burns. But God isn't in any of those things. These elements, these powerful elements that can, that can end Elijah's life. Let's remember, he started running because he thought he might die. And now he stands in the midst of an earthquake, uh, wind ripping rocks apart, the very ground he's standing on, shaking, fire consuming. And yet this time he stands and he waits and he doesn't run. He says, I'm going to wait and see what God has to say to me. And then the quiet voice of God speaks. About 50 years after this, another prophet is leading the people, a prophet who wrote about suffering and struggle. And the prophet Isaiah says these words, God says to you, when you pass through deep waters, I will be with you. Your troubles will not overwhelm you. God says, when you pass through fire, you will not be burned. The hard trials that come will not hurt you. For I am the Lord, your God, the holy God of Israel, who saves you. Sometimes God is loud Sometimes he's in the earthquake and in the flood and in the fire. Sometimes the Spirit of God appeared as fire, as wind in Scripture. He's big and powerful and holy and sometimes far off, apart from us. But God is also, at the same time, close by and intimate and quiet. Sometimes when we're at our lowest, God speaks the softest. Be still and know that I am God, he says. In the stillness, God can remind us, remind you and me, what what is true. You are safe. You are his child. You are not alone. You are forgiven. You are dearly loved just as you are. In the quiet we can hear God speaking. And God calls Elijah back to do what he was created to do. He says, go and anoint kings and call new prophets. Go do what prophets do. You're still alive. You're not alone. You're not done. God says, I have something to do through you. Good work that will bring light and love to this world. And just like Elijah, God has something for you to do as well. After you eat, after you rest, after you name your emotions and embrace what is true, let's start remembering what God has created you to do. Go and do what he made you to do. If you're a teacher, go teach. If you're a leader, go lead. If you're a prayer, get on your knees and pray. If you're a parent, invest in your kids. If you're a husband or wife, love your spouse. If you're a worshiper, then worship. Go and do what God has called you to do. Go back and do those things. God tells Elijah, go and do it. And then he says, and get Elisha. Get this new friend. And appoint him as a a prophet. He's going to do it with you. You're not alone. I'm going to give you a a partner. So I'm going to do it with with you in this life. And what a joy it is that we get to come together and, and do things together. To be part of what God is doing in our neighborhood together. To pursue this new life in Christ together. This is what we're called to be about, Hillcrest. And it's so good that that we can do that with one another. The way through depression is, is never easy. It's not simple. It's not sudden. It, it takes one step after another, one step at a time, moving us out of darkness and back into light. So talk to a friend about how you're feeling. That's one step. Rest and eat 
food that's good for you. That's important that it's good for you. That's one step. Remember who God says you are. It's one step. Sit and talk with a counselor or a life coach. Check out that list that Natalie has. Those, we want to refer you to those, those good people. That's, that's one step. Do one good thing today for someone else. Take your eyes off yourself. That's, that's one step. Keep your eyes focused on the one who is your help and your refuge, the maker of heaven and earth. Let's talk with him and ask him to help us in these times of darkness. Will you pray with me? Father God, we thank you that you are good and faithful. We thank you that you have walked with us through life. And Lord, we, we have seen the things you have brought us through. And Father, when we face another dark day, when we face times of depression, times of struggle, times when we are anxious and worried, would you remind us, Lord, that you are with us, that you've walked with us before and you will walk with us today. We think about our friends, our, our family members, our kids, our parents, those that we see struggling with depression, and we pray for them, Lord, that you would bring them uh, out, that you would heal them, that you would strengthen them, that you would remind them of your light and your goodness. Give us wisdom how we can be with, with those who are struggling, be alongside them, speaking words of grace and truth. Thank you, Father, for being our good, our good God our good creator. We trust you. We believe in you. We are yours. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.